Father Charles Huff III. Wow. How do you prefer people to interview, I I mean, to uh, address you? Most people call me Father Huff, but I have uh, a lot of people also that call me Father Chuck. What do you prefer? Either one, Father Father Huff is great, you know, and I I am the third, so that means there are others. (laughs) Uh And and were your... The, your father and your grandfather priests as well? No. My uh, my father and grandfather um, are both deceased, but uh, my, my grandfather was uh, was a Presbyterian elder. Okay. Uh, my dad was in medicine. So, okay. But, but, so they, I'm the first in the line to be uh, an ordained uh, priest. Yeah. Yes, and you are a married priest. I am a married priest. A married Catholic priest. A married Catholic priest, yes. And how, how many years have you been a priest? Uh, let's see, I'm in my 10th year as a priest, uh, uh, as a Catholic priest. As a Catholic priest. But I spent uh, 32 years as an ordained uh, Episcopal or Anglican priest. Okay, and what's the difference between the Episcopal and an Anglican well, priest? Well, the, the Anglican Church is the Church of England, Mm-hmm. Um, is um, uh, has eighteen autonomous project uh, 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 rather uh, provinces around the world, it's wherever the British Empire was. Okay, and each province is part of the Anglican Communion. And in the United States, uh-huh. the Anglican Church or the Anglican means English. Yes, the Anglican Church was Anglican was called the Anglican Church until the American Revolution. And you know, we fought the British. Yes, so once we uh, derived our independence from the Brits, the Anglican Anglicans in the United States changed the the name the official name of the province of Anglicanism in the United States to the Episcopal Church. Okay. Episcopal coming from the Greek word, which means bishops. Okay. Episcopal. Episcopos, yeah. Okay, so it's it's like an offshoot or like the, the it's, grandson of It's part of the of communion. The, it's part of the, okay. the Anglican communion. Okay. Yeah. But remember, there's a... 18, 18 autonomous provinces around the Anglican communion. The spiritual head of the Anglican communion is the Archbishop of Canterbury. Okay. So everybody, everybody has heard the Archbishop of Canterbury. Okay. So it's, it's not a separation. It's just within just a different name because it's here in the United States. Right. Uh Okay. That's cool. And I was, I was, uh, spent 32 years as an ordained Episcopal priest here in the United States. Now, did you grow up in the Episcopal? I did. I did. I grew up in the Episcopal church. Um, the, uh, I, I was, um, I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, and uh, was was part. My parents were part of a parish, uh, an Episcopal parish in Fort Worth, that was. We, we would say Episcopalians and Anglicans are. It's a pretty broad church. Okay. You've got uh, you've got those that are very traditional. Uh huh. We would call those folks high church. Okay. If you will. Uh, then you have broad church. Those that are sort of you know, Protestant. Yes. Uh, sort of Protestant vanilla, you might say. And I, I don't know, I'm being critical. No, <laughs> okay. No. And then you have those that are what we, what we used to call low church. Okay. And like they have, they have the communion service once a month. Okay. Well, I come from the high church okay. end or the, what's called Anglo Catholic side of Anglicanism. It's the John, Hen- St. John Henry Newman, um, uh, if you will. He is our, Great, 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 great grandfather spiritually, okay. John Henry Newman. Uh, if if you know history, the the history of the English Church and the history of uh, of Britain, it's part of the Oxford movement, which John Henry Newman headed up. 
in the mid-19th century. And that was a movement that was within, within Anglicanism that was always working to, because of its Catholicity, it uh-huh. had lost uh, it, it, its communion with the Catholic Church uh-huh. with Henry VIII. Yes. Of course. Yes. Back in the, in the 16th century. Yes. But uh, by the time we get to the 19th century, there was a, and there always was a movement within Anglicanism to reunite. Okay. With the Roman Catholic Church, with Mother Church. So there was always that movement within Anglicanism. And I was part of, I grew up in that part of the, of the Episcopal Church, the High Church Anglo-Catholic wing. Okay. And that's where that's, and I've heard that term before, the uh, High Episcopalian. Yes. That's where that comes we have from. Mass every Sunday, every day. All uh-huh. the seven sacraments are there. Uh, Anglicans make their confession. The problem is we, we, we had lost communion with 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 Rome and that happened in 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 the early uh, well the mid 15, uh, 16th century with, so, with Henry VIII as you were growing up did you have that instilled in you that oh we are moving towards coming back into communion Actually, as i was growing up we i, I part of the anglo catholic movement was to try to make the case that we were catholic Okay. That we we actually didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater during the the English Reformation. Okay. We we retained the seven sacraments and we we tried to make the case that the authority and the communion uh, communion with catholicity was still there. In other words, uh Anglican orders or episcopal orders the orders for like for example the sacraments. Uh-huh. Uh my orders as an episcopal priest, I was a catholic priest. But I had come to recognize, and this was my, that we'll get, I'm sure we'll get into my journey uh-huh. somehow or another. Yes. But slowly but surely, I mean, I was taught that. I was taught the branch, we called it the branch theory. Uh-huh. That there were three, uh, there were three, uh, sections to the to Catholicity, to the Catholic faith. Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, and Anglican. Yes. You see? That's called the branch theory. Mm-hmm. I finally, like John Henry Newman, St. John Henry Newman, who also came to recognize, I'm not comparing myself to John Henry Newman, <laughs> but many of us uh, growing up in the 60s and 70s and 80s began to, to realize ever so slowly that communion with Rome, we didn't have it. And our orders were really not valid Catholic orders. They were valid in the Anglican Church. Mm-hmm. And remember that Pope Leo the Thirteenth, in the turn of the century, nineteen hundreds to the two thousand, eighteen hundreds to nineteen hundred, Pope Leo the Thirteenth had declared finally Anglican orders invalid, because we weren't in 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 communion with with Rome. That had been severed, uh, and 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 unfortunately, we we've been separated from Rome for over four hundred years. Wow! But no longer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At least for those of us who have found our way back, which the Holy Father, beginning with John Paul II, St. John Paul II, have made possible. It actually began during the Second Vatican Council. I, we can get into that, too. So the ball, really the ball started rolling during yeah, Vatican II. Yeah, the ecumenism uh, docu- uh, decree um, in one of the 16 do- documents of the uh, Second Vatican Council, early 1960s, uh, was the, the, the decree on ecumenism. Which talked about what church unity or reunion would look like. We are that. 
In oh wow, that is awesome. We are. It's called. We've called it. We, we now call it realized ecumenism. We don't. We're no. We're no longer talking about. You know, the church gets together with other <laughs> denial, and we all talk about reunion. We all talk yes. about unity, church unity. Yes. I mean, I'm always in favor of that. You know, of course. There's uh, Jesus course. wants us to be one. May they all be one. Yes. Okay. But the the problem is that we we we've for decades and decades and decades we've talked about reunion, but finally. Since uh, Pope Benedict promulgated the Anglicanorum Chetibus, which is groups of Anglicans mm-hmm. that decree our apostolic constitution, uh, what we what we what we have now is a realized ecumenism. It's a an actual movement mm-hmm. uh, that is real, and Rome has may uh, uh, has given us the opportunity to reunite with the Catholic Church, bringing some of our Catholic, within Anglicanism, all Mm -hmm. these 400 years, our heritage back into uh, reunion with Rome. That's fantastic. It's an incredible historic time right now for the Church, and it's overshadowed by so much around us. Oh, yeah. But it's a tremendous movement. Wow. Yeah. And we're part of that. When you were growing up as a child, did you have the idea that you were going to be a priest? Yeah, I I uh I grew up the parish I grew up in was a very active, very as I said, high church, uh-huh. Anglo-Catholic parish. Uh we were we were the children in that parish had a wonderful priest. His name was Father George Acker. He's he's with the Lord now. Uh but he he produced over the the time that I grew up in that parish some 15 priests that became episcopal priests. Uh-huh. Of those fifteen, since then, uh, probably ten of those fifteen are, are now Catholic priests. Some of them are deceased now. I was one of that number. I um, I felt the calling to the priesthood because uh, I think part of it was the devotion of my own family. My mom and dad were pretty devoted people, uh, and I can say, and, and my my siblings. Uh, I have to say that the priest was a major factor in my uh, uh, vocation. And I remember him bringing in to uh, the parish, it was a Friday night in Lent. In my parish, during Lent, Father had um, Stations of the Cross. Uh We all know what that is. Yes. Benediction. We had Stations of the Cross and Benediction. Okay. And a guest speaker. And he had a very dear friend of his who was a former Shakespearean actor, uh, in New York that well, he he went to school with who became um, an Anglican monk. Anglicans have monks, too, Okay, have monastics. Cool. And he was a, a holy, what we called a Holy Cross monk, uh, the, uh, the Order of the Holy Cross. Uh, and he gave his life up as an actor, brilliant actor. Uh, his name was Father Lee Stevens. He's, he's all, he died not too long ago. He was in his almost 100, I think, years old. Uh, about 10 years ago, I guess he died. And anyway, he uh, he was sent to Liberia at that time. This was in the early 1960s. I was a kid. Okay. And he was sent to Liberia uh, to work with a leper colony, huge leper colony in Liberia. And uh, he came in. Father Acker invited him to the States, and he was touring the States, raising money for that particular mission in, in Liberia. And he, I, I was, I think I was like nine years old. I was sitting in the pew between my parents. Uh, the Huff family always sat on the 
left-hand side, the gospel side of the church, and uh-huh. like the third pew. That was that was the Huff pew, you might say. <laughs> and we're sitting there, and he comes out. He's it, it, their habits were were pure white, okay. with the cinctures and the knots and all the stuff. He had big, big blue eyes, uh, toe-headed guy. You know, very, very blonde, marvelous accent. You know, uh, not British. He's he's uh, uh-huh. an American, but he had that had that. Actor's accent, that Shakespearean <laughs> kind of, you know, very, you know. Yes. And he had me from from second one, you know. How old were you? I was nine. Okay. Okay. And I'm sitting there li- with the rest of the congregation. He's uh-huh. talking about their work, uh-huh. what they do with the lepers, and what you know how they're how they take care of them. And he, they were raising money to buy or purchase uh, rubber foam so that they could make gloves and booties. For the lepers, because you know, uh, part of leprosy is the loss of of the feet of feel the, yes. the nerve endings die. Yes, and so they knock. You know, it's like going to the dentist, except it's all over your body. Yes, you know? and it's a horrible disease. Of course, it's it's yes. treatable today. It wasn't it, it was so so treatable, but in Africa, it was a real problem where he was in the 1960s. Mm. But they were they were, and he explained all of this in about a 40 minute talk, and it was from I, I look back at that now that was so long ago. But I can see that as literally the genesis, because I knew for my vocation, because I knew I need to do something that's in the church. Uh-huh. And then you couple that with the tremendous ministry of the parish priest we had. My entire growth, we had one priest. He was there the whole time I grew up. With his witness uh-huh. and example to us, it all came together. At one point, I wanted to, to go to law school. I was in college, and I, I went through a little bit of a, a, a period where I think I'll go to law school. Uh-huh. But uh, the Lord said, no, no, you're going to seminary, and that's where I went. And then how does seminary work in the yeah. Anglican Church? Uh, in the Anglican Church, uh, we you're required to uh, to uh, attain a, a, at least a bachelor's degree, four years, okay, bachelor's degree or or more. And then as soon as you do that, you go through the formation during that period okay. through a diocese, uh, through an Episcopal diocese. And the degree and then, is in philosophy, My, my theology? degree is in history. It can be in anything. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we had we had people that had pre-med degrees, okay. had, had uh, engineering degrees, but it needed to be a bachelor's degree. Okay. Mine was in history uh, and sociology. And so I went from from right from college into seminary. Seminary is three years, uh-huh. and then there's a year... As a deacon, it's kind of an internship, so it, it's 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 a solid eight to nine years. Okay, four years of college, three years of seminary, a year before you you're ordained a priest, year in the diaconate. And that again, that's a you're assigned to a parish. Uh huh. So very similar to the way that the yeah. Catholics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh huh. And and they're concerned. Uh, the commissions on ministry are concerned about the uh, human formation, how mature you are. Of course. Uh, I was um, I was ordained um, a priest as early as you can be, canonically, uh-huh. in the Episcopal Church. I was 24. Okay. And you couldn't you couldn't be ordained any any earlier. You, you you had to be you couldn't be any younger than that, canonically. So I was right on the Right on the cusp. How did you do that? Did you? I did. I got through college, went straight to seminary. Okay. And I guess I proved to the members of the commission in that particular Episcopal diocese that I was ready. You know, Uh I had worked my way through college. I was an X-ray technician Mm -hmm. uh, at a children's hospital. I had worked um, in various and sundry jobs, but I never quit. uh, In I actually worked full time and went to school full time. 
it was a, it was oh. kind of, I had a lot of energy in those days. <laughs> <laughs> so as a seminarian going to college, how different is it than, you know, because we've heard a lot of, uh, of Catholic priests who grew up in the Catholic church going through seminary and their stories. How different is it in the, in the Anglican church? Well, it, it, remember that, that the, the community of seminarians really doesn't form in the Episcopal church until seminary. Until after the bachelor's yeah. degree. Yeah, until after. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I actually had two classmates in seminary that I went to college with that I didn't even know they were in the formation program. Okay. So now, that's I, a I private went to, thing. I went to the University of Texas at Arlington, which, which is a big school. Yes. So I remember I had a um, philosophy class or one of, one of the classes I had one of my classmates who la- later became a classmate of mine in seminary. Uh-huh. And when we, we saw each other, our first year of seminary, I remember the orientation that night. I went, we went to school together, didn't we? It was that kind of thing. But the, the, the community of seminaries forms uh-huh. once we get to the major seminary part. Okay. And then yeah. do you all live together in the seminary? Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's yeah, how The seminary I went to is uh, – um, uh, I went to seminary in Wisconsin. Uh, the uh, the Anglo Catholic uh, Episcopal Seminary in Wisconsin is called Neshota House. Is that the closest one to <clears throat> Houston? Uh, no, no. There, there's there's seminaries, uh, Episcopal seminaries all over the country. The closest one here is is the seminary in Austin at the University. Of okay. Texas. So why'd you end up in Wisconsin? Because of because of its high church. Because it was okay. Anglo Catholic. Okay, that's the one that <laughs> you wanted to go Benedictine, to. Very Benedictine, yeah. And so they had daily mass in that seminary. Uh, they had a requirement. The spirituality was very Catholic. Mm-hmm. We made our confessions. We went to benediction. We, being a Benedictine seminary, an Anglican Benedictine seminary, we uh, all were assigned jobs. With, in, in other words, the seminary didn't have uh, much of a staff, uh, maintenance, and all that. We did it. You know, okay. it's, it's the Benedictine rule. You know, okay. work and pray. Yes. You know? And I was assigned my my job in seminary was um, I was sacristan, and so that helped pay for part of my seminary. And so I was one of the seminarians that was in charge of setting up for daily masses for the priests uh-huh. and all of that sort of thing, and training the new seminarians coming in liturgically. Uh-huh. And then you had the the, the very rigorous uh, academic side of it, because I mean it's a graduate school, so you're you're. You're taking Greek and Hebrew and systematic theology and all the rest, you know, liturgy. The, um, uh, the, the, it's a, it's a balanced kind of, of, of thing. Now, remember in the Episcopal church, uh, clergy can marry. All right. Yes. And, uh, 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 celibacy is, is we had celibate, uh, men as well. Okay. We also had married men. I was a married, I, I married in college. Okay. And so, Marilyn and I, uh, we've been married now 48 years. This year is our 48th uh, anniversary. Um, we lived in the married student housing section of the seminary. Okay, so, the, so there's, that's there's, cool. There's the celibate or the single uh, in the clo- what's, what we call the cloisters. Very, okay. Uh, Neshota House was founded in 1842, the seminary, and it actually was founded to train priests to, to go and missionize in the, uh, the native tribes, especially in South Dakota. Okay. So I mean, that that's really what what the mission of that seminary was, but it it, it came out of remember I mentioned the Oxford movement. Yes. It came out of that movement. So very high church. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, and it was a three year program, and then when I finished uh, uh, and graduated from seminary, uh, we had our first child. Uh, she was born. Uh, my daughter was born. Our daughter was born. 
uh, Marilyn went into labor the the day the night of my graduation from seminary. Oh, wow! <laughs> and our daughter was born, and our daughter, who's now forty two, uh-huh. she teaches at uh, Duchenne here in Houston. She's a, a second grade uh, Catholic school teacher in the girls' school, the Catholic girls' school here in Houston. That is cool. And then we had uh, I have a son. We have a son, uh-huh. and he's a Catholic priest. So, yes, and he is the the uh, pastor and rector of the cathedral of Our Lady of Walsingham here in Houston. He is the the pastor there. I've actually been there. It's yeah. it's it's awesome. Yeah, it's he, it's awesome experience. And he's been there about ten years now. Yeah, you know, we were ordained actually together. Really? Yeah, yeah. The, the oh uh, yes, that's right. When when it all started we, happening, we, we yes. were in the first wave of the of the newly established. Uh, ordinariates. The ordinariate, well, we can we can kind of get into that, but the the personal ordinariate of the chair of St. Peter is the diocese. There are three ordinariates in the world, mm-hmm. which the, the, the Pope has established, and they've been around now over 10 years. We have, and they're dioceses is what they are. Mm-hmm. They're called ordinariates. Uh, they use the model for this. Uh, it was the if you if you know any uh, uh, military chaplains, for example, mm-hmm. Catholic chaplains in the in the U.S. Army or Navy. Yes, they're part of the military ordinary. In other words, it's a it's a boundaryless diocese, and they're attached to it by their in uh, under orders in the in the military ordinary under the bishop of the of the armed forces. That's the that's the model they use that the, the the papacy used to set up the the ordinariates for former Anglicans coming into the Catholic Church, and that's its mission. You know yes. the, these three dioceses. Um, there's uh, a, the diocese uh, of the ordinary diocese in Great Britain. Okay. There's one here which takes in North America and Canada, or United States and Canada, North uh-huh. America. Uh huh. Uh, and that's the personal ordinary of the chair of St. Peter. Then there's the personal ordinary of the Holy Cross, the Southern Cross, which is the um, the one in Australia. Okay. So, so there's three dioceses. The ordinary in North America, w- of which I'm a part of, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, has about 44 uh, Catholic communities or parishes uh-huh. throughout North America. We have 70 priests now. Um. 10, 12 deacons, permanent deacons. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, we have several transitional deacons who will become priests. And I think the last uh, the last time I saw the number, there were like 13 or 14 uh, men that are, are in the seminary pipeline. Okay. And a lot of our men uh, go to St. Mary's here in Houston, St. Mary's Houston. Seminary. That's where I went. I had to uh, I've been to seminary twice, you might say. <laughs> and so St. Mary's uh, did the formation program for the first wave, and I'll get back to your question. Uh-huh. So I came in under the first wave, which was 10 years ago, all right, uh, 2011 and 2012. Uh, the first wave was ordained, uh, deacon and then priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were we were ordained. I was part of the the, uh, the the group from Fort Worth. We had six of us in Fort Worth. That were former Episcopal priests who were then ordained by Bishop uh, Kevin Van, who was then the Bishop of Fort Worth. He's now the Bishop of Orange, California. Okay. He ordained us to the priesthood, a diaconate and the priesthood. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And then uh, my son was one of those priests, and I was there. Were, 
my son, myself, and four others, okay? My son was a former Episcopal priest. Mm -hmm. He followed in my footsteps, you might say. And then he converted about the same time that I did. He was a part of that movement in that diocese. And and he and I were ordained together with the other four. There were six of us in all. And someone did some research, and they think that it was probably, uh, probably um, it's been since about 1180 okay. that a father and son had been ordained together in wow. the Catholic Church. So it's been a long time. That is awesome. And the press at that time, uh-huh. the media picked up on that. So oh, I had to answer yeah. Gillian's a question. There were two <laughs> questions they they always ask us. It was about celibacy and married priests. Uh-huh. Our issue is not married priests and celibacy. Uh-huh. You know the reason why the the uh, the the Pope allows for married priests, their former Episcopal priests who were married. That's it. Mm-hmm. And and he 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 sets aside the rule of celibacy on a case by case basis. Yes, for church reunion purposes. Yes. In other words, there'll come a time, you know, the, the standard in the ordinariate, like any other Catholic diocese, uh-huh. is celibacy. Yes. We're kind of extraordinary, uh-huh. but it's for reunion purposes, you yes. see. Now, if 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 Marilyn dies before I do, then I'm celibate. That's how it works. Just like a deacon. Yeah, okay. You know? So, uh so and remember that uh, a married pre uh, Episcopal priest who who converts to the Catholic Church goes through the formation, goes through and it's pretty rigorous and then is ready for ordination. Only the Pope can order that. It has to be wow. ordered by the Pope because he has to set aside the rule of celibacy so uh-huh. this man can be ordained a Catholic priest. So I remember when I first was ordained priest, I had people where I was working in Fort Worth uh-huh. at various parishes. They say, now, are you are you, are you fully a Catholic priest? Oh. And I wanted to say, well, I don't know how you, you're not fully, you either are or you're not. <laughs> they didn't, it, it took a while for it to sink in, you see. Yes. And I think among Catholics as well, you know, uh, it, cradle yeah. Catholics. Yeah. And this is a new work, you know, it's only yes. 10, 12 years old. Now, remember that this movement actually began with John Henry Newman, of course, mm-hmm. back in the 19th century. Yes. When he converted as an Anglican priest. He converted to Rome, okay? Uh-huh. And he had finally come to recognize that that the, the fullness of the church required communion with the papacy. And that's what we all had. We all have made that journey. Okay. You know, we've come in, in, into the realization that the branch theory— is 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 really not correct, you know. Okay. Now we're not we're not casting aspersions on our past, in terms of I'm I'm very very thankful that I spent 32 years as an Episcopal priest. I remember Bishop Van told me sitting in the in the the, the front room of the rectory at St. Patrick's Cathedral in downtown Fort Worth when I was kind of wringing my hand saying it took me a long time to get here. Didn't it? <laughs> I mean I'm, I'm I'm 50 at that time I was 50. 55 something uh-huh. like that and and uh, maybe 56 yeah and 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 he 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 said now chuck first name being chuck uh-huh. he said don't cast aspersions on how the lord got you here mm-hmm. and that's when i realized well i took the scenic route to the catholic <laughs> church you know but also remember that uh, being a a priest of that particular diocese uh-huh. i was the assistant to the bishop and i, I was in that position for 18 years that's the vicar general, if you will, mm-hmm. okay. for that Episcopal diocese. So I had influence as his assistant in 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 the lives of fifty four different 
congregations. There were 54 parishes in that diocese. And, and I had, I felt obligated to use my experience growing up in the church, growing up in a movement that was trying to re- reunite with, with Rome, finally. Uh-huh. And it, I felt that I needed to spend as much time as I could in my own journey trying to help others, lay people, come into the church. And that's what Anglicanorum Chetibus is about. Pope Benedict gave us that decree, that apostolic constitution, and what it does is it allows groups of Anglicans with their priest to come into the Catholic Church, go through RCIA, if you will, formation, Uh and then be received, confirmed, and then the priest goes through very rigorous formation, which takes several years now, Uh you know? And then, even though he's been to seminary before, yes, you know, second seminary, it's kind of a second <laughs> seminary, and it's rigorous. I, I told uh, some of the the younger guys that are going through it right now. I said I felt like, and I was, you know, I was in my fifties when I went. You uh-huh. know, I'd been out of school for a long time. It was like like taking a drink through a fire hose. You know, it came so, you know, there was so much yes. that we had to do and we had to learn. Wow, you know, and I mean, it was it was an incredible experience. But once that was done. Then uh, we we uh, we achieved, if you will, the promise that began so long ago with Saint John Henry Newman and his conversion, yes, and then John Paul II, Saint John Paul II, who began uh, the 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 process of allowing priests from the Episcopal Church to become Catholic priests under what's called the pastoral provision, and that began in the early 1980s, yes. And there's a couple of them here in the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, who are called pastoral provision priests. They were formerly Episcopal priests. Some of them, okay. and, and some of them were married as well. So the setting aside of the celibacy rule. Yes. But then Anglicanorum Chetibus was promulgated by Benedict in 2009, and in two, uh, that allowed for groups of Anglicans, parishes, mm-hmm. if you will, Episcopal parishes, to come in, plus other Protestants. Oh, Methodist and others as well. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So going back to your first um, seminary experience, now you didn't have to worry about celibacy because I know that's that's something that a lot of Catholic Mar- priests is allowed. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so it's also priests, allowed in the in the Eastern Orthodox Church too. You know. Mm. Yeah. So a lot of the the you know the Catholic priests here they that we've had on the show they said that that was one of the things that they had to get over the most. Oh yeah. What um so since you had that put aside for you know as you since you were in the Anglican church or the Episcopalian church what difficulties did you encounter during your formation? Yeah. I I think the 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 difficulty uh, the difficulties reside around twin vocations. Uh, that's what I, the way I would explain it. Okay. The vocation to marriage and the vocation to priesthood. All right. That's hard. And it really is. It's I can hard. imagine. I'm not saying, I'm not saying, you know, feel sorry for us, <laughs> but I, I, and I, I wouldn't do it any other way uh-huh. for me anyway. Okay. You know? And again, it, marriage is not our issue in the ordinary. We're uh-huh. not trying to come to the Catholic church and say every, all, all these priests ought to get married. No, 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 no. Uh-huh. We, that couldn't be further from the truth, uh-huh. you know? Uh, the but marriage is is a vocation and it, it, it is it is a uh, one of uh, the, the the very purpose of marriage is for the salvation 
of two souls mm-hmm. by by literally giving themselves away to each other. The two become one. Yes. You can no longer do your own thing. So yes. <laughs> and you begin to learn how to surrender yourself. So marriage and family, yes. the domestic church, is part of that surrendering of our of our will and becoming more, if you will, uh, in tune with God's will. That's what any vocation does. Uh-huh. We're not allowed to do uh, what we what we would like to do all the time. If we did that, <laughs> we're, we're not going to go to heaven. If I'm allowed to do whatever I want to do, regardless, I'm not going to go to heaven. I mean, it's about it. That, that's how vocations yes. work. Priesthood is very similar. The monastic vocations work the same way. You see, mm-hmm. and so. The, the the difficulty begins with trying to to maintain uh, a healthy relationship, marriage with 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 spouse, and raising children, et cetera, et cetera, uh-huh. and also functioning uh, as as uh, as the pastor of a parish, for example, a priest in a parish. Yes, it's doable because I did it for thirty two years. Uh-huh. You know. And I've done it since then, ten years as a Catholic priest. Yes, it's doable, you see. But that that that's 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 a difficult proposition and can be. All mm-hmm. right, um, celibacy is a is a real gift uh, that the church has. And I'm not saying that that married priests are better than or celibate priests are better than. Uh-huh. No, it's just different. Yes, and their 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 vocations, and God is seeing to it. That souls are being given the opportunity to surrender themselves uh, to God's will, and that's how we become holy. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's a lot more to it. Of course, we yes. Can get into that, but, <laughs> but that, that the difficulty began in seminary. I mean, I mean, I'm. It was uh, going through seminary as a married per, uh, as a married seminarian. Yes, I had a I had a, a wife. Yes, I didn't have. Now I had a good friends. Uh, who had children there? We didn't have any children. Remember, my daughter wasn't my oldest yes. wasn't born until until your graduation. Uh, until we grad- yeah, and that that was uh, that was a godsend <laughs> to have to wait till then. But some of some of the my friends had several children. Wow. You know, that, yeah. So did they? Li- they lived with in yeah the, 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 the married student housing. We had uh, we had all kinds, okay. kids all over the place. Yeah. And then do do the wives have to undergo classes as well? No. Uh, they were always invited to audit if they wished. They okay, could come in and sit. Okay, you know, and uh, a lot of them worked for the for the sem- my, my wife worked for the dean of the seminary that I went to. Uh-huh. Uh, she was uh, helped with the uh, fundraising activities of the uh, of the seminary, and uh, worked in the in the seminary office itself. And and um, uh, because we didn't have any children at the time. We were able to to that was a lot easier for us. Oh we, yes, but they also had daycare programs and all the rest for the kids. So, okay, that's yeah. that's good. So you know, we all know as every any married person knows that the first few years that you know it can get a little rough in the marriage. And you were going through seminary mm-hmm. at that time. Was there a point when you said, "Oh, maybe I should just concentrate on, you know, on on you know"? Did you ever think of leaving the seminary? At any point, just to concentrate on your married I life, went, I never went through that kind, any kind of a crisis like that. I knew okay. some young men that did, some friends that did, and survived it. And I, we've, I had some friends that didn't, you know. But uh, we, uh, Marilyn and I, were, were, if I could say this, and I say this in all humility, we were kind of naturals to the program, you might say. Okay, we both loved being there. Okay, I enjoyed every minute I was in seminary. 
Uh-huh. It was hard. There were hard times. But the, but the reward of the community yes. and the way we took care of each other, you know, we had a, there were 110 students in the seminary I went to. The, uh, the year I graduated, we had 110 students. Uh, the community was solid as a rock. It was a worshiping, praying, caring community. And my wife was a natural in that. She became the, she, in fact, her, our senior year, she was the president of what's called the Women of Neshota House. And that, you know, it was the wives group. She, she was the president of that group. And they did all kinds of things uh-huh, you know, in, of in course. terms of, yeah. of, of providing social activities yes. for us. Oh, and yeah. It was lots of fun. And the single guys, I mean, we, we kind of ad- adopted some of them. You know, uh-huh. several of them used to eat with us almost every night. You know, they'd, they'd leave the refectory and come over to the married student housing and be part of life there, too. What, what was the rule with the single guys? Were they al- allowed to date while they were in the seminary? Were yeah, they not they, al- they, Okay. They, they could. They could. Yeah, they could. Uh, but it, once once the seminary formation began, uh-huh. if you're single, then to be to to move into marriage, uh, you needed the proper permission. Yes, of the authorities within the seminary and the diocese that they come from. Okay. Now, and remember, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, one can marry a priest can marry or a seminarian can marry, but once they're ordained, priest can't marry. I'm sorry, I, I misspoke. Once they're ordained, that's it. You can't. You're celibate. Okay, you're locked in. That's right. <laughs> Whatever you are, yeah. there you're locked and in. Then, and then no, no, sem- no priest who's married can become a bishop. Okay. You know, of course, that's true with the ordinariate. I mean, none of us are will ever become bishops. You know, okay. It's not going to happen. And our first uh, ordinary, uh, Monsignor Jeffrey Steenson, was a married uh, priest. Uh huh. Uh, and and the first ordinary of the ordinary of the chair of Saint Peter, uh, being married, he couldn't be a bishop, but he was made a monsignor, and he was the ordinary of uh, this ordinary here, the diocese here, until mm-hmm. Bishop Stephen Lopes, uh, who's now the the uh, Bishop Lopes is is a celibate priest, so he he has been uh, ordained a, a, a Catholic bishop. He's our bishop, and his. Office and Chancery are here in Houston, right beside uh, Our Lady of Walsingham. Okay. And I used to work there because I was the vicar general for uh, the ordinariate before I stepped down. I was the vicar general for uh, uh, Monsignor Steenson. He and I were the work together in the early days of the – it's when we had nothing. Okay. You know, we, we literally started the ordinariate with nothing. I officed out of my car, in fact. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it was we, – we didn't have a whole lot to work with. Wow. But it's come a long way since then. So coming out of seminary, what what were your first assignments like? Okay. A, uh again, that's in in the you mean as a as a Catholic priest? As a the first seminary experience. Okay. So as uh, I came out, I was assigned to a parish as a deacon. Uh-huh. And I spent a year in the diaconate. Uh-huh. Uh I was assigned to a parish in North Dallas. Uh, I was in the, I was in then Fort Worth then was in the Episcopal Diocese of Dallas. Okay. Now those two dioceses are separated. There's Diocese of Fort Worth and the di- just like in the Catholic Church uh-huh. and the Diocese of Dallas. But uh, I was assigned to a uh, to a, an Episcopal parish, Epiphany, in um, in uh, Richardson, Texas, which is just north of Dallas. There, it's a suburb of 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 Dallas, a northern suburb, and I spent two years there. In fact. And then from there, uh, when I finished my diaconate and was ordained a priest, then I was assigned to a parish in Sarasota, Florida. 
the um, uh, one of my uh, uh, one of my the bishops that I knew very well in Dallas, the auxiliary bishop. Uh-huh. His name was Robert Terwilliger. Had a former student that he had taught years ago, who was the pastor of the big Episcopal parish in Sarasota, Florida. It's right on the bay. It's a beautiful place. Uh-huh. You know, you come out of the front door of the church, and there's all the big yachts and sailboats and uh-huh. stuff. And, and he um, uh, he was looking for um, uh, uh, a parochial vicar, if you will, of uh, assistant priest. So all the way to Sarasota. I spent two years there. Uh huh. Why Why you from all the way over here in Texas? And uh, he he the the Bishop Twilger thought I would be a good match. Good match. For, okay. Where, and in fact. I worked for him, uh, that pastor, for two years. Uh-huh. Then uh, I was brought back to Fort Worth, okay? Okay. And spent the rest of my ministry until I converted to the Catholic Church in Fort Worth. But that priest uh, in, um, in Sarasota later became the bishop of Fort Worth. Okay. And part of that connection was to me and to the people I knew in Fort Worth. And remember, in the Episcopal Church... Bishops are elected by um, by the uh, the diocesan convention. Okay, they're not a. There's no pope. Okay, you see, yes. so they're elected. Mm-hmm. It's more of a democracy. Okay, for good or bad, you know. Uh-huh. But he was elected bishop of Fort Worth, and so he became our bishop. So I had a law, and then I became his vicar general. So I worked for him twice. <laughs> so Bishop Twillier knew what he was doing uh-huh. way, 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 way back. You see. And then I had a I had a number of not only my own home parish priest who was a great influence on me, but I had a number of very very Anglo Catholic Episcopal priests, older priests who were a big influence on me as well. Mm-hmm. And I, they, none of them lived long enough to to cross over with oh. us. Uh-huh. I call them the generation of Moses because Moses didn't cross, yes. you know. Yes. But they got us to the river, uh-huh. all these. And a lot of them, you know, I look back at that now and I think, gosh, that, you know, it's been, it, it's been, uh, you look back and you, and you look into the sort of the mist of the past. And I don't think some of them even realized what they were, what was actually happening. Oh. You know, they were being faithful uh-huh. to what they thought the church was, still practicing what's called the branch theory. I mentioned Yes. That. But they knew enough, and they were faithful enough to work with us young guys, and we were coming forward, and and it, the way that that movement finally encapsulated itself was that in the Diocese of Fort Worth, the Episcopal Diocese of Fort Worth, mm-hmm. since 1987, that diocese has produced 36 Catholic priests. This is an Episcopal diocese. Yes. 36 priests, <laughs> all right, be, uh, are now Catholic priests. Uh-huh. That's more than some Catholic diocese. Yes. You know, since 1987. Wow. They have made, you know, because that was a hotbed, and there were hotbeds all over the, all over the world uh-huh. of, of Anglo-Catholics who were wanting to, to, and we were in dialogue for years with the Vatican. Yes. And they were working with us. I was working working with a group of clergy in Fort Worth. There were 10 of us in all. Uh We even went to Rome, and we had meetings, and this went on uh, over several years uh, until finally at one of those meetings, I remember one of the cardinals said, I think it's time for you all to go ahead and make your former former 
uh, formal uh, request to the Holy Father. Wow. And so the group in Fort Worth, and there were others around uh-huh. the, the country and the world that were doing this. Yes. And our group made a, a, a very, very formal request to help us come into the Catholic Church. And because of those requests, 2006, 2007, mm-hmm. all the way up, well, really earlier than that, 2004, these requests were being formulated. Benedict, who was, uh, you know, Ratzinger, who was then yes. Benedict, who had a tremendous respect for English Catholicism uh-huh. and the English culture, okay? Yes. Uh, and understood us, you know, very well. He allowed for, he promulgated what's called now Anglicanorum Chetibus, groups of Anglicans. That's mm-hmm. what it means in Latin. Anglicanorum yes. Anglicanorum Chetibus, Chetibus being groups. Um, he allowed that in 2009 as a response to our wanting to come into the Catholic Church. And the way we respond, the way we re- we requested it was, I, I used the, the illustration. We, we had hat in hand. We had no conditions. Please oh. take us. And we were, I, we were ready to become lay people in the Catholic Church. It, it not wow. be ordained. Really? And, and, and many of our guys walked, we all walked away from our living. Uh huh. And some Episcopal priests are fairly well paid, you know. Uh huh. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel sorry for us. Uh huh. But there was a lot of sacrifice that took place. Wow. Uh, I walked away from, from, uh, from a, a, a lot. Uh, we had to sell our house. Uh-huh. Uh, I worked in the ordinariate uh, uh, in the early days. I wasn't paid for like eighteen months, and so we had to. I had to. I made a living by helping in parishes and in uh-huh. the chancery, and you know, I said masses and did things. Uh-huh. And so it was called, you know, the stole fees, if you will, uh-huh. kind of helped support us. And we lived on our savings until we, you know, we, we. I told you we started with pretty much nothing in the ordinariate. Yes. Um, but the. Um, the, the transition was uh, was miraculous, and and we would none of us none of us would would do it any other way. We have no regrets, uh-huh. you know. And I get up every morning, and I know my colleagues, priests, and around the ordinary uh-huh. get up every morning and thank God that we're Catholics, because it was a hard journey, but it was a glorious journey. So in the the early days of those of that journey, yeah. did you have others who were trying to convince you not to? Yes. How, what we, was that like? It, uh, John Henry Newman went through that. We, uh, you know, in, uh-huh. back in the nineteenth century, uh-huh. uh, he lost a lot of friends. My wife and I lost all of, most most of our friends. Really? In 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 the Episcopal Church. What did, what did they say to you? Well, it was just they just quit talking to you. I mean, it was just just kind of ended. You know. Wow. Uh, some of them felt that we were not being faithful. Uh, you know, we were being, you know, kind of traitors to the church. Wow. We had abandoned the, you know, and, and, and I tell people all the time, I wasn't, I wasn't driven out of the Episcopal church. All the Episcopal church has lots of problems. All right. And I, okay. again, I don't want to be critical, mm-hmm. but they've embraced lots of stuff that is not, you know, it's not, you know, it's not good Christianity. Okay. Know? Uh, I mean, you know, they, they, they've taken on a lot of the ways of the world. Okay. You know? Uh, and, and I, I don't want to get into any of that because some of that's very provocative. Okay. Uh, and you know the 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 modern day cultural battles that are going on. The Episcopal Church is in, in, involved in that. Uh-huh. The the Catholic Church has a magisterium. This is one of the reasons why we were we felt like we needed to come into the fullness of the faith. The magisterium. The truth is the truth. There's some things you can't change. <laughs> yes. You know, and part of that is morality. 
There are some kind, you know, as a Catholic, some morality can't be changed, right? And and so there's a, there's a stability there. Okay. Uh, so that that that's that 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 uh, coming into the Catholic Church and those ties, those fraternal ties and friendships, a lot of them were severed. We didn't sever them, but they were still severed because there were a, a number of people that didn't want anything more to do with us. What about relatives? That's not, that's not, no, no. Didn't, I didn't, we didn't, Marilyn and I didn't have that trouble. Okay. Relatives. Yeah. That's good. I've got, I've got relatives that are still in the Episcopal Church. And I have, lo- I still have lots of friends in the Episcopal Church. Okay. But I remember I was more of a higher profile priest in that diocese. Okay. Being the, the second in charge, you will, the, you know, the vicar general. Yes, yes. And for 18 years, you know, and it, 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 it my conversion to the Catholic Church was a shock to, to a lot of people because I was, you know, I wouldn't, I wasn't just sort of a parish priest out there. Yes. But I had influence in, you know, in the whole diocese. And, uh, that was, uh, that was a, uh, um, a difficult time for, for us to lose some friends. And I even had, I remember there was one lady that in one of the rural parts of the, of the Episcopal Diocese of Fort Worth that told me, that I needed to get, you know, psychological care or something. Wow. She thought something was wrong with me. <laughs> really? You know? Yeah. How do you, so you you have that kind of thing going? They don't understand the the the, the conversion or, or why why would you want to become a Roman Catholic? You know that kind of thing. There's bigotry. You know, I mean, it's, wow. it's, it's very real. You know, Catholics are are discriminated against yes. even to this day. You know, and we experience that. John Henry Newman did too. And then coming into the Catholic Church. You have the other side. I have always been warmly received. I, I never, never had any anybody. I've had friends that have been in Catholic communities. It took a little bit for them to get used to it. <laughs> what do you mean you're a married priest? You know, it's that kind of thing. You know, and I smile. You know, I understand that. You know, they weren't used to married priests. Yeah, they, or, How can you say mass and be a priest and you're married? How? Well, what is that about? They're not aware. That's exactly. Yeah. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And it just we needed to. Uh, to do some education, and again, we're not trying to change anything. We're not. We're not storming the church <laughs> with all of our ways. You know, no, 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 no. That's not how it worked. You know, and also remember that the the rites of or the the liturgy of the ordinariate is Latin rite. Mm-hmm. It's not its own rite. Yes, a lot of people don't realize that. Okay, but the divine worship, which is the the missal. Of the ordinariates, okay, is stands right with the the, the new missal of the uh, the Roman rite. Yes, it's right there. Yes, you know, and then there's the extraordinary form. Those are the three. We're 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 not. There's not a there's no, there's there's no such thing as an Anglican rite. It's the divine worship, okay, mm-hmm. which is the missal and the liturgy for the ordinariates. All right, as we are. Part of the fullness of the Latin rite. See, a lot, again, a lot of people don't realize that. So, if you go to an ordinary parish like Our Lady of Walsingham, yes, and you make your communion, it's a valid communion. I, I had that exact experience. <laughs> I, I had it's a gone, Catholic church. I had gone to Our Lady of Walsingham, not knowing that it was a former Episcopalian parish. And... Actually, it never was. That oh, was, really? No, that was an Anglican rite church. Okay, okay. That that one was never an Episcopal, uh, Episcopal church. Uh-huh. It was Anglican Rite, but there's no such thing as Anglican Rite anymore. Okay. It's all, see, this is the realized ecumenism movement. It's mm. done. Mm-hmm. You know, history has been made. Yes. We've got these dioceses that yes. specialize in, 
in 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 being Catholic. We're in the Catholic Church, yes. but we have a certain flavor uh, yes. that the Pope wanted. Yes, to, that that all of the liturgical rites that we keep in the Divine Missal, uh, uh, the Divine Worship, the Missal of the Ordinary, uh-huh. they were they're they're part of a long history of English. Uh, language and spirituality that was part of the Catholic Church. Remember, the, the English Church was part of the Catholic Church before yes. the 16th century. Yes. And then the, the prayer book language of Anglicanism retained its Catholicity. Yes. Most of it's monastic, you see. Mm-hmm. And that's what, you know, Benedict could see that. He's a very educated man. Uh-huh. He could, he understood it. And so he saw this as a way in which we can contribute to the the diversity of the Catholic Church and be fully Catholic, but bringing in some of the the great um, uh, spirituality and liturgy that sustained us as as wannabe Catholics, if you will, <laughs> in the Anglican tradition for so long, and it, it was like. Those were, were, were formulated and, and put together by an interdicastery commission uh-huh. that was, that was, uh, uh, put together by the Pope. And it, 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 those, that expression, that ordinary liturgy, which is Latin rite, okay, mm-hmm. okay, was, it, it, it's been said, it's been, this stuff was given to this heritage of music and liturgy and yes. spirituality was given to Peter. Okay, uh-huh. the church. Yes. Peter purified it, uh-huh. filtered it, uh-huh. and then gave it back to us as Catholic, promulgated as a Catholic, you know, missile and spirituality. And then he says to us, now go and make lots of Catholics. Mm-hmm. That's what our mission is. Take it and go and make a lot, lots of Catholics. So it, be, it becomes very friendly to Separated brethren, I'll use the Vatican II language. Okay. Who are, like in Anglicanism, who will come to an ordinary parish and they'll see things they've seen before. You see? Yes. But it's all Catholic now. I like how you use the term, it's a different flavor, because that's exactly what I felt when I went to Our Lady of Walsingham. I, this is a Catholic Mass. It feels like a Catholic Mass, but there's a different flavor it's to it. It's all ice cream, but it's just, yes. you know, there are different flavors of different of ice cream, but it's all Catholic. It's and all ice cream. I didn't know it at the time that it was, you know, the, the, the whole situation. Yeah. And, and, and when you go to an ordinary community, it's again, it's a Catholic church. Yes. It's like any other Catholic church. Yes. You're going to get that kind of flavor, but it, 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 you've, you've, you've gone to Mass. Yes. You go to there on Sunday. You've, 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 you've taken care of your obligation. Yes. You see what I'm saying, and it, and and the the ordinary it reaches out to those who are Protestants, uh, Anglicans specifically, Methodists. Remember, Methodism came out of Anglicanism. Mm-hmm. So and so you have all of this 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 ecumenism that's going on that's actually happening, coming into the church and being made, being received and confirmed, and become you know practicing Catholics. So the or and then then there are those that are cradle Catholics that are part of the ordinary, but they generally speaking have family that were Anglicans or something okay, like that. Yes, but we don't turn. You know, the church doesn't want us to turn anybody away. Uh-huh. So you'll have ordinary communities that have cradle Catholics in them too. You know, 
Now, we don't go around and proselytize, uh-huh. but we're really not doing that because we're all Catholic. Yes. You see? Yeah. yeah it, was a, it was a funny experience when, when I went to, to that mass because my, my wife and I, we had, we'd gone there. My sister recommended, you might go to this church. It's, it's pretty cool. You know, check it out. So we had gone there and the mass happened. It was a Catholic mass, felt like a Catholic mass, different flavor. And then at the very end, the priest, who's your son. Yeah. Baptized his child. Right. And then they were taking pictures out. I said, Oh, this is a married priest. Yeah. This is the most interesting thing. So, and of course they had, they probably saw the new faces of new Catholics. So you and, were there when my granddaughter, was he, what, did he baptize? His? I can't remember yeah. when it was. It would have been my granddaughter. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Caroline. And it was, I was there. We were there and they had, they had kind of made an announcement. They probably saw the new faces. They said, That's okay, we, canon law and then Pope Benedict and they kind of explained it. And we were, and we were there and we were just, we have a picture of the. There's a group of uh, a whole bunch of us that were uh, uh, Pope Francis's um, uh, guests several years ago. When my my youngest granddaughter, my youngest grandchild, we have four grandchildren, uh-huh. and my youngest, our youngest, which you saw baptized, it sounds like. Yes. They they um, uh, she was with us in Rome. Um, uh, she was little bitty, so she traveled with her parents. And we're all there with, with together, all these ordinary priests and their wives and families. And, uh-huh. and we're sitting there in Vatican Square, right there, you know. And Pope Ben, I mean Pope Francis, comes down and greets all of us. Wow. And he picks up my granddaughter, uh-huh. and you know, and gives and, you know, and gives her a blessing. He's and the picture is is his holding my granddaughter uh-huh. and my son and my 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 daughter in law are sitting there. You know, I'm I'm up about four rows up. You can see my head looking down, uh-huh. and one of the priests hit me like that when the when the the Pope was blessing my my uh, my granddaughter. He hit me and said, "Your granddaughter's a relic now." <laughs> <laughs> it was a great, you know that that he we were we were there in Rome to be uh-huh. received and yes. congratulated on all the the, the tremendous uh, success that had happened with the ordinariate in in North America, and the uh, Pope Francis was just absolutely wonderful to us. And we spent some time at the CDF, the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith, which is just right the the big palace, or I guess you okay. call it, I'd call it a palace. It was a big, you know, <laughs> giant, you know, building that we they had a big reception for us there, uh-huh. and it was it was lots of fun, you know. That is awesome. Yeah. So let's go going back to you know getting the ball rolling for you know entering the Catholic Church and all of that. When did you realize, well, this is going to happen? This is this is actually happening. Yeah, and that that's a good question. Uh, it, it really is because that was part of the journey. Therefore, I, I would say a decade. You know, really since uh, I would say yeah, uh, I would say since about nineteen when we were really moving with this by the mid nineteen nineties as individual groups around, we didn't think. We didn't think, you know, what, I mean, what, what, it was a pipe happen? dream. It was a pipe yeah. dream. Or we could have gone ahead and just, you know, as people have said, why didn't you just go ahead and convert uh-huh. and become, you know, but uh-huh. it was, it, we, we felt called to bring those with us to, 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 to help heal the separation that had, that had happened 400 years earlier. That was part of in our heads, you know, is it possible that there could be, Promulgated some way to do that. Now we had the pastoral provision. I could uh-huh. have submitted myself 
individually. Almost did a couple of times. Really? As an as an Episcopal priest. Uh-huh. And then those guys are just assigned in 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 the normal Catholic diocese. Okay. You know. Uh, and I almost did that a couple of times, but I still had that that because of of growing up in this diocese with these wonderful Anglicans, mm-hmm. many of which uh, I think really needed the kind of care pastorally uh-huh. to help bring them in the church, and we brought them. We brought a lot of them with us. You know, and that wouldn't have happened if you had just no. I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I wish it would have been more. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, we had forces working against us. I, I've I mentioned some uh-huh. some of that. You know, some of those uh, uh, people were were actively working against us. Really? Uh, yeah. And um, it, it was an, uh, some of it was unfortunate, you know. Um, and, and, and remember, in their mind, they saw us as kind of, you know, what's wrong with you people? Why are you leaving? Uh-huh. You know. And uh, this is a diocese. Part of what caused that is the Episcopal Diocese of Fort Worth was a very conservative, and I would say very faithful diocese. Still is. Mm-hmm. And it was standing against the new, if you will, morality, the issues of morality uh, that the Episcopal Church was embracing, uh, and 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 uh, this particular diocese was had uh, years of st- of standing against it, especially at what are called general conventions. Remember, in the Episcopal Church. There's a general convention that meets every three years that uh-huh. regulates life in this autonomous province. Okay. And in general conventions, literally can vote on doctrine. See, there's no magisterium. Well, wow. So when you don't have a magisterium uh-huh. and when you don't have that kind of authority, uh-huh. you end up with voting on, on, on morality issues too, wow. like, like uh, same sex marriage. Uh huh. And the Episcopal Church has embraced all of that. Okay, you know, and we saw that as as you know, we want to be pastoral to everyone. Of course, of course, Jesus loves everyone. Yes, we're all sinners. Yes, but we don't have any business changing doctrine and morality. That's that's not our purview. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like trying to change the sacrament of baptism. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you don't change the sacraments. Yes, it's capital T truth. That's a bit. This uh-huh. diocese has that diocese was very faithful in doing that, and still is. And that's one of the reasons why it produced so many Catholics, is because uh, it became apparent that the Episcopal Church was. And I, I say this, and please forgive me. I'm not trying to to be critical, but it it, it became a bit of a lost cause. Really, it had gone. It was irreparable. You know, they had gone too far. Uh-huh. You know, they're, they're, they they had voted in so many things that were just, you know, anti-Christian, I think. Really? A lot of it, unfortunately. Now, the people in the Episcopal don't see it that way that mm-hmm. are there now. And again, I don't want to be critical of them. And I'm not, I'm not, uh-huh. I'm not, this is not a blanket thing. There are lots of faithful Episcopalians. Uh-huh. Yes. And believe me, there are, you know. Uh-huh. And they are they they understand what's wrong, you know. There And there's lots of stuff in the Catholic Church that's not. You know that that's difficult uh-huh. at times. You know, and there 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 is. You know, so, so these conventions, it's the, you've got the high and the low yeah, church as together. well. So, okay, so they're all together. Yeah, a very broad, uh, diverse group. 
Okay. And so you've got this group, and they're very politically active. Okay. You know, and that's the other thing that I was, I became very sort of, you know, I went to seminary and learned theology. Uh-huh. But I was I was at general conventions with clergy that went to seminary. I think they learned political activism because <laughs> they ran circles around us, <laughs> and they did. You know, it, the, it's a very politically active. There, there are wings in the Episcopal Church very politically active, but that's true of any church. Uh, that's it's not tr- just the. Uh-huh. I speak to the Episcopal Church because that's what I was. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't. You know, but I, that's true across the board. Was there any point during your the whole process of you know? Uh, re-entering the Catholic Church that you had said, okay, this is probably not going to happen, or was was there a big obstacle? What was the biggest obstacle that you had to get past? In coming into the Catholic yes. Church? Uh, hmm. I think the... Uh, now, I, I can only speak for me, okay. but I can also speak for lots of converts mm-hmm. that come in from the Episcopal Church. Uh I didn't have any obstacles. I mean, theologically, I was already there. Okay. I was raised, I think, a Catholic. Uh The only thing that I missed was reuniting or or going into communion, being in communion with with the Holy Father. You know, Mm -hmm. I was ready from from day one almost. Uh, A few things I had to work out, you know, uh, here and there. I I had to learn, you know, Catholic canon law. You know, there's some... Theological things I had to uh-huh. bone up on and get 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 uh, up to speed. Yes, and that's part of that formation business. Uh-huh. That was important, uh, and it and I, I took time to do it, and I'm glad I did. But some 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 converts had to go through uh, struggling with things like Mariology, you know. Okay. Uh, uh, Protestants, uh, the 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 a lot of Protestants. Uh, I think Fulton Sheen. Uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen uh, used to say it very beautifully when he'd say, uh, some of the things that people respond to with hostility when it comes to the Catholic Church are the things that the world says the Catholic Church believes. Yes. <laughs> you know, and not what the Catholic Church teaches. Yes. So I spent a lot of time in my during my formation period, which lasted, you know, a long time. Mm-hmm. Working with Anglicans, I, I was teach. I taught a class in Fort Worth um, uh, that lasted uh, almost a year. Um, and in fact, we had gathered in lots of Anglicans that were li- that were in that class. I taught the class once a week, and we we ended up with as just as many cradle Catholics that joined us because mm-hmm. they were saying we haven't heard any of this. Uh-huh. You know, and what I was doing is I was teaching them the Catechism and specifically Lumen Gentium. From the Vatican II, you know the great, uh, oh, yes. the great Constitution from Vatican II, Lumen uh-huh. Gentium, you know, light to the Gentiles, and uh, which is the 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 Constitution on the Church. All right, mm-hmm. and we we spent a lot of time learning what was what was there, and that that was a part. At, at the end of Lumen Gentium, you'll know that there's the section on Mary. They yes. attached it. It's the, the last chapter mm-hmm. of Lumen Gentium's on Mary and Mariology, you know. And that was always a, a bit of a barrier for, for a number of Protestants. So I was one of the priests. Uh, well, I wasn't a priest then. I wasn't a Catholic priest yet. Mm-hmm. I was in formation. Yes. But I, we, we, we together worked through those issues to recognize what the church truly teaches. And then you come to recognize you can't do without Mary. You know, Mm -hmm. 
Without Mary, we don't have. I remember the old bishop, I told you, Robert Terwilliger, the auxiliary of Dallas that sent me to Sarasota, yes. Florida, used to work with our young... He, he was an Anglican bishop. He used to say, if we don't get it right with Mary, we're never going to get anything right. You know, I mean, that's coming from an yes. Episcopal bishop. Yes. You know? If he would have lived long enough, he would have known oh. us, but he, he died. He had a stroke, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh. He was he was part of the Moses generation, you see. Yes, the Moses generation. We're the Joshua. <laughs> Joshua crossed the river and went into the promised land with the group. But Moses didn't make it. And he was part of that that Moses contingency that was so important to us. Did you have any, you know, of those who started the process with you and then dropped yes. off? Yes. What was it what was it like for them? Um what did they I I think that part part of them dropped off because of the financial difficulties. Okay. And I understand that. These men had families. Mm, yes. You know? And the the, uh, the ordinariate allows for its priests to work outside the church if they have to. Okay. No other Catholic diocese allows that. Okay. But the reason why we, we, we allow that from time to time is because our resources are not where they where they will be someday. Uh-huh. We have we have positions in the ordinary parish. They can't pay full time. Uh-huh. So some of our guys have to work outside the I did. Okay. You know, and and, and what did and, you do? Well I worked in the Chancellery for okay. example. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And in Fort Worth. I mm-hmm. worked I worked for Bishop Van in, mm-hmm. in Fort Worth. But I also worked in in a couple of other parishes where I did supply work for the priests uh-huh. you know, and heard confessions and that sort of thing. Okay. You know, and I'm doing that now. You know, I do that here at St. Bartholomew's. Yes. And uh, I help with uh, with carrying the the load, that the, the priestly load here at St. Mm-hmm. Bartholomew's uh, to help supplement, uh, you know, because uh, I'm not on any salary uh, uh, because I'm, I'm uh, in the first wave. Uh, I'm, I'm technically considered retired now because I uh-huh. stepped down as vicar general in the ordinariate, and um, uh, the bishop is. Uh, I had some uh, some health issues. I had a couple of surgeries. Okay, I'm, I'm doing great now. Okay, that's good. But I know I am. I'm doing great. But I had to slow down a little bit, and okay. so the bishop was was kind enough and graceful enough to allow me to g- give me a, a, a retirement status, uh-huh. so I didn't have to be in a uh, in a cure or, or a position that's that's. Full time, like a uh, like a, a pastor again. Yes, yes. And so, what I'm allowed to do now is to help where I can, uh-huh. and uh, according to what my energy level is. Okay. Well, it's pretty pretty good now because I'm doing a lot. <laughs> but I'm, but but I'm, I'm I'm not. I tell people all the time I don't have to go to meetings anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, I've been a priest for between Anglican and, and Catholic for forty what forty three years. You know, uh-huh. I don't have to go to meetings anymore. I don't have to raise money. Uh-huh. You know. Uh, I don't. I don't run a parish. I've done all that. Uh-huh. You know, I'm just a priest. I get to say mass. I get to preach. I get to teach. You can enjoy those things. Confess. I'm, I'm a sacrament. Yes. I'm a sacramentalist. That and I wow. love it. And it took me 43 years to get here, and <laughs> and a little bit of bad health. Uh-huh. You know, again that that I'm doing. I'm doing much better now. There for a mm-hmm. while I wasn't, but I'm doing. I'm doing much better now. And I don't mind saying that. I mean, I I, I went through. You know, and I had to slow down. You know, it would have. It was, I mean, my doctor said, you got to slow down, mm-hmm. you know? Do you find yourself having to explain it a lot yeah. to people that you meet? Yeah. So you've gotten used to it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we practice a, a kind of discretion uh, that we teach the, 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 the merit. And there's not as many coming into the 
Catholic Church now as there were uh-huh. the married. The former Episcopal priests are married because mm-hmm. we got most of them okay. <laughs> that are going to become Catholic. <laughs> they're they're here, uh-huh. but there's still some more. But we we make it clear that we need to be very sensitive as married priests to, especially if you're in a parish, you know, be careful because some people don't understand. Yes, I mean I don't walk around holding my wife's hand, you know. I mean, that may sound, you know, unless unless that parish is totally yes. together with with it, so to speak. Because somebody might see the image it, and it think could be something scandalous. Yes, it looks scandalous. Yes, you see. I don't use sermon illustrations about my wife, especially when I'm in parishes that don't know me, because mm-hmm. they're going to say, "What is that about?" Uh-huh. See, so it, and again, we're we're sensitive to it, and we should be. You know, we should be. And 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 uh, I have to tell you that I Marilyn and I have never run into any hostility. Now we know some who have run into a little bit because of, and we mentioned this yes. a few minutes ago. But it's yeah. only because they just didn't understand. I've never I've never run into it myself. But I do have to explain it. <laughs> and you've gotten very good at explaining yeah. it. Over, <laughs> I go to a to, I go to a a, a a fitness place where that. That there's a couple of the little old ladies there had uh, had had said, "You're a Catholic priest, yeah," and, and that's your wife over there. I said, yeah. How does that work? <laughs> so I got it. And th- these are Baptist. <laughs> Happened to me a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> so know? not just Catholics, but also oh sure, yeah. They're people. going. Well, what is that? Because they know Catholic priests aren't supposed to be married, are they? You know. So I have to explain. You know, that this is kind of an extraordinary situation, and you know, it's the reunion. To yes. allow that to happen, it's it's God given, and the Pope's in charge of it. And uh-huh. We're not doing anything wrong, and you know that sort of thing. So you said you and your son together yeah. entered the Catholic Church. Yes. What was that like? The two a, of you, to- un- incredible. Yeah, that was an incredible experience. Uh, the to be, uh, you know, he, again, he he became he followed me into the Episcopal priesthood. Uh, uh, he went to uh, A and M for his undergraduate work, and then went to the same seminary that I went to, and then became a, an Episcopal priest and was assigned to a couple of parishes before he was with a younger group of clergy uh, in Fort Worth, the Episcopal Diocese, who were also working together to come into the Catholic Church. You know, and uh, so he was he was he was part of that whole group. And it just happened that we were in the same sort of uh, cadre of priests or seminarian and then becoming priests, being ordained together at the same mass. And there's a wonderful story I heard that when our dossier, our file, if you will, was sent to Pope Benedict for his Uh approval, once our formation was completed, once we, you know, you got to go through psychiatric... uh, um, uh, evaluations mm-hmm. and uh, oral canonical or you know oral tests and all this kind of stuff, background you gotta, you gotta checks and sure all of that. that yeah, you know uh-huh. that you've got your theologies correct and that yes. you're up to speed to be a Catholic priest academically and otherwise. I would think the scrutiny would be a little more. It's a little more. It yeah, can be so. in certain areas. It's uh-huh. a little intimidating, even if somebody is older than I, older than as old as I was. Uh-huh. But it was intimidating. I felt like a a kid again. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, the, our dossiers were actually taken to Pope Benedict and put on his desk together. 
and they opened them up wow. together for him, and they said, now, uh, Holy Father, this is the Father and the Son that are being ordained. And they said he just laughed that's, and then signed both documents to order a, the... But he, he he signed ours together. You know? That's amazing. And then we were ordained together again. There, there are other uh, father and son Catholic priests, uh-huh. but it's like mom dies and then dad becomes a priest later. Mm, okay. That kind of thing. Yes. I, I know there's a few of those in Europe. Okay. Uh, I don't know in the United States or maybe I don't, I don't know, but but being ordained in the same mass that's a different yeah. different animal, and that hasn't happened for over a thousand years or almost a thousand years. That's amazing. Now remember that in the early church, priests could marry. You know, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. The, the I mean, Peter was married. Uh-huh. You know, and and so you you do have, but uh, celibacy didn't become didn't become uh, uh, the the stable that it is the staple that it is I should say. Until a little la- little bit later, you know, but the fact is that to be ordained with your son, uh, I mean, I remember being interviewed by the Associated Press, just like this. Yes, and we, he was right beside me, and we were being asked all these questions. I, and it was it was surreal. I'm sitting there with my son uh-huh. talking about being ordained a Catholic priest. You know, it was it, it's a, it, a a wonderful gift, and I have to say, I'm 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 uh, prejudiced. He's a fine priest. <laughs> you know, he's done very well at at, at Our Lady of Walsingham. He's uh, his position right now is he, he's there. He's the is he's the pastor. The pastor. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then I he has a position in the chair of St. Peter as well, if I'm not mistaken. Well, right? he he's yeah he's a liturgical officer. Okay, that's what it bishop. is. Yeah, and he's actually uh, working on his doctorate in uh, in liturgy, uh, the University of Vienna. Uh, they have a distance program that okay. they work with, and he's working on it. So he'll be he'll be getting his doctorate in, in liturgy. And he's Charles the fourth, Fifth, fourth. the fourth. And okay. Then I, and then his his oldest, the uh-huh. eldest, is Charles the fifth. He's he's thirteen. We call him Charlie. Does he have any thoughts of becoming? He wants a, to be a, a doctor. Priest? Okay. <laughs> he's a part of my family. They my family was in medicine, and and part of my daughter in law's family they were in medicine. So he's kind of. Picked up on that, and he wants to be a surgeon. Any other sons and that we, might we become? Him. Well, I have another grandson, <laughs> Will's. I don't. Will's is 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 he's he's into he's into being a boy. He's a good kid, you know. But uh, still, he's younger. But, still, too. but, but Char, Charlie uh-huh. is Charlie is is wanting at this time at this stage. Okay, he's wanting to be a surgeon, and and we encourage him. You know, I, I, we don't have any expectations. So you're Chuck, he's Charlie, and then and your my son, son is Chuck. Chuck as well. We used to call him Little Chuck. He's six foot four. But, <laughs> so I look up at my little Chuck. Son. Little Chuck. It's kind of a guy named Tiny who's yeah. gigantic. My grandfather right was six six. So I think he got. And, and I think he got some of some of that th- those genes. He was a big guy. So you talked about you know being interviewed when the two of you uh, entered the Catholic Church. Now you said that the the question, and you kind of touched on this earlier. The question that you get a lot is, you know, what do you think about? Um, you know, married priests and and the, the church may be changing the teaching. You kind of touched on it. Would you like to you know go into that a no, little I, more? I, I made it very clear mm-hmm. to the Associated Press. I remember that interview, mm-hmm. and I said, you know, you guys keep picking up. Now you're not the only one that that interviewed us. Uh-huh. We were interviewed by a, lo- a two day period. It was a lot of lot of yes. media, 
And I, and I said, you know, you guys keep going back to this question. Yes. I mean, it was one of the local radio, uh, uh, television stations in Dallas. Uh-huh. That's who it was. And, and they're the ones that finally said, well, what do you think about, you know, having married cat? Uh-huh. I mean, the, the church is changing. I said, the church is not changing. <laughs> <laughs> I said, don't go there. That's not what's happening. Uh-huh. What's ha- and I explained what's happening, you know, the extraordinary uh, reason for this. Yes. You see? And that we we're not our, our issues in the ordinary. We're not about about bringing married priests, or we're not opposed to celibacy. Mm-hmm. It, that has nothing to do with what's going on here. And it took a while for us to to get these reporters to understand that. But they they're not they're not theologically you know the the, the nuances they're, they're yes. not quite there. You they know? were looking for the headline. They want the headline. That's yeah. right. And it's a headline. <laughs> <laughs> Married Catholic priest, and this one's got a son who's a priest. Yes, <laughs> you know, I mean, golly, I mean, that would that drew that drew them out of the they came out of out of the woodwork, you know. So and you had like a it was sort of like an information campaign on your little part, bit, yeah, a little bit. And I and I and, and since then, uh, especially that first year, uh, Monsignor Steenson had asked me to do some public presentations, which I did. Uh, I, I spoke to a number of large group Catholics, large Catholic groups, I should uh-huh. say. Um, uh, Knights of Columbus and some other uh, gatherings that invited me to come and talk about the ordinariate. And I would be in the vicar general. I, I did that and I made a number of public presentations and got into this, the, these particular kinds of things. And then I took questions from the floor. And most of those questions had to do with what you're asking right now. Yes. Is, now, how does this work? And yes. let's see, let's see. You guys are, you know, are, are you really Catholic? Or why didn't you just go to a regular Catholic parish and become a Catholic? Uh-huh. You see, what, 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 why does this need to be done? Mm-hmm. And see, they don't understand. Again, it's, it's nuanced. Yes. It's the realized ecumenism. That's a big deal, you know? Yes, This is it the is. Catholic Church reaching out to the world, a, a, a providing a way in which reunion becomes easier. You know, Peter giving us the liturgy back and saying, now, you're approved now. It's fully Catholic. Yes. It's got a lot of Anglican flair to yes. it. Okay. And flavor. But are, you know, you're not Anglicans anymore, but go out and make Catholics with it now. Uh-huh. That's what it's all about. You laid the groundwork. That's yeah. what it was. You were, you were, yeah. you were trailblazing. Yeah. And opening, you know, who knows? This could be the beginning of yeah. floodgates and, opening. And we're just as comfortable, a priest like me, I'm just as comfortable using the Novus Ordo. I do it here at St. Bart's or any other place. Uh-huh. The divine, we're, we're by ritual, you might say, you know? One of the things I tell the acolytes here at, uh, St. Bartholomew's, I said, now when I get up, uh, up to the, uh, to the altar, be sure and bring me the missile immediately. So, you know, open it up because I, I want to stay in, I want to stay in the Novus <laughs> Ordo because I, you know, I, sometimes I'll jump into the, into the, the ordinariate right. <laughs> okay. Hold on just a minute. I got to, where am I now? You know, it's that kind of thing, but it works. It works fine. Uh-huh. Fine. But we're 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 uh we're just as comfortable with the Novus Ordo. Yeah. It just depends on where you are. And then some of our uh ordinariate uh, communities were formed with the with the uh, the modern language. So they use the Novus Ordo and not okay. the divine missile. And 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 that 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 happens as well, you see. And and that's okay too, you see. We're, we're, again, they stand with each other now. Mm-hmm. You know, we're fully Catholic. Yes, and we are fully trained to be Catholic priests. Period. Now, 
if somebody wants to, you know, go into all of the details of, you know, everything that you've been through and the, the theology of it all, what would be a good resource for them to, to read up on? The, the web, the, uh, personal ordinary to the chair of St. Peter website. And if you go on to, to, to that website, then you can, you can hit that, the, in the upper left hand, there's, there's that, where you hit that and you see the various and sundry things, resources. Resources. And then go through there and you'll see all the, the, the founding documents, the divine missal. You'll see, uh, uh, you'll see some of the, uh, the, 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 the pieces that were written by various and sundry, um, uh, authorities, uh, that explain how the Anglican heritage was filtered in how it was Catholic even during the the 400 years separation, uh-huh. the prayer book language, the beautiful Elizabethan language which we use in 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 ordinary at worship. The, uh-huh. it, it's it's high high English, beautiful language, almost Shakespearean. You know, we have that. You see, mm-hmm. and and how that all became a part of it. How the Pope had ordered all of this, and how the filtration took place, and. Uh, the, the the commission that worked on it. Okay. Um, uh, we had s- some local people here at the University of Saint Thomas. Uh-huh. The head of the English department, uh, Clint Brand, who's Doctor Clint Brand, was brilliant. A uh, member of, of Our Lady of Walsham, uh-huh. brilliant liturgist, and and brilliant, just a brilliant man, was part of that. He gives lovely explanations. And it's all on the it's website. It's all on the website. Okay. It's all there. Yes. Now I understand you wrote a, a book. I did. Now it's out of print, but it, this is the book that was actually remember the class. Remember the class I, I I talked about. Yes. That I taught. I did a series for almost a year of off the cuff, really, really off the cuff presentations of about uh-huh. an hour apiece. Okay. In which I took Lumen Gentium, and I used it as the backbone of my presentation to this. Group of Anglicans learning how to become Catholic, and then we ended up with a whole lots of of, uh, of cradle Catholics that were part of it as well. And that book what was actually uh, there was a, a very dear parishioner who um, who w- taped all of it, uh-huh. and then he transcribed it. Oh, and then a, a number of people edited it. It was funded through the Knights of Columbus. And it, the, the title of the book is May They All Be One. All right. It's about that thick. Uh-huh. And it's, it's basically a catechism based on the, on Lumen Gentium. Okay. The, 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 the Vatican II, uh, one of the, the four, uh, four constitutions of the Vatican II, mm-hmm. you know, and it's probably the most famous of the four. All right. And, and, and it lays out, uh, in, in, in absolute detail, what the church believes and teaches. And I spend a lot of time on like Mariology. I have like two or three chapters on Mariology alone. Okay. Because it's a barrier. Yes. For Protestants. Yes. And there are other things as well. An understanding uh-huh. of uh, uh, the scandal of particularity, the, the uh, Jesus is the only way. Mm-hmm. That's a scandal to our world. You know, how dare you be exclusive with the truth? Because we live in a, in a, in a culture of relic. Relativism. Yes. You know, any truth is good enough. You know, your truth and you, you, you define your own truth. Yes. We, we live in a culture like that. Yes. There's no truth. It's like Pontius Pilate standing before Jesus 
saying, what is truth? Pontius uh-huh. Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? Uh-huh. We live in a culture that like that. Yes. This lays all of it out. And it's written for people who are converting. Okay. Now, it's out of print now, and I don't think there's any more copies. What about a digital copy? Is there a digital I, copy you can download on one. Yeah, at this point Amazon or yeah. something? Yeah. Um, I, I, the only thing I could do is I could, I could make an inquiry as to whether the editor who is – the fellow that edited it yes. would have anything. I think I do have – I'd have the original transcriptions, but uh-huh. they're in a box about uh-huh. like this. That would be you great know. if the editor could, you know, get that digitally so people could, you I'll know, ask Dominic. Download it on Amazon for a dollar and yeah. there you go. And his name is Dominic Periello. He lives in up in Oklahoma. You can read it on your phone and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that but is... it's it's a it's a it was a lot of work, but it, it, it's uh now it's not a it's not it's not like reading a nar- a, a novel. <laughs> uh-huh. It's 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 a catechism. Okay. Is what it is, okay. you know. And it's 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 laid out, remember, it's transcribed from me talking, uh-huh. presenting it. So, I mean, it's not that I sat down and wrote this. It's, it's, they're transcribing my lectures. Okay. And I didn't use notes. Oh, wow. See, I uh-huh. mean, I had Lumen Gentium before me and all that, but yes. I, I talked off the cuff. And so that's where that comes from. And, uh, and, was, I, and it was happening during my own formation. And then a little bit later after I was ordained, I think I finished up those classes. And that would be Everybody. something good for an Anglican to take a look at. Yeah, yeah, anything like that. But I think that starting with the documents. Okay. Uh, now, remember, our official catechism is the catechism for adults. Yes. I mean, it, we're no different than any other Catholic, you know. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the founding documents and explanations uh-huh. are on the, on the personal ordinary of the chair of St. Peter. Just per, put it up in the thing, personal ordinary of... Personal ordinary and come chair of St. Peter. Yes. And it'll 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 come on there. And you'll And then see you go to resources. Go to resources and kind of fool around with that and you'll see you'll see all kinds of stuff. And it's very helpful. There's also a, a few snippet kinds of it, it's a, a, it, like one sheet uh explanations that have okay. question answer, question answer, question answer right down the line. Just like the bullet points. It's, yeah, the bullet yeah. point. Kind of, there's that going on uh-huh. as well. It's very helpful. And 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 the chancery put that together so that people can see uh, uh, you know what the ordinary what what this diocese is about, you know, mm-hmm. this Catholic diocese. Looking yeah. back on your entire journey and everything that's that's happened to you, what what would you say to somebody who is thinking about converting from, you know, the Episcopalian into the Catholic Church? Well, first of all, what I would say is, um, don't, don't be docile. That would be my first. Docility is very important. Okay. Uh, study, understand what the Catholic Church teaches. You know, mm-hmm. understand the need for a magisterium, which the Catholic Church provides. The understand the authority of the church and what it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, that the church is. You know, we can. I don't like to get into the politics of the church because uh-huh. that's you know, uh, you know, and there are politics <laughs> in in every church. The Catholic church. Yes, that's what I was referring to a while ago. Yes, you're, you're going to get politics. Yes, but the, the the Catholic Church is about the salvation of souls, mm-hmm. and it's the fullness of the faith. Understand that that you're looking at it, it, make that your goal to at least 
look at that with open ears, open eyes, open heart, a docile heart, that it's the fullness of the faith. It is the fullness of the truth that Jesus brought into the world, and that truth is found in the Catholic Church. Now, the separated brethren, I like that term. Mm-hmm. That's what Vatican II gave to to those outside of the Catholic Church. Uh-huh. They're no longer called heretics. <laughs> Yes. It's not very pastoral. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, the Holy Father would appreciate that, you know, because he talks about we need to be pastoral, yes. you know. Uh, but but the and that word carries so much baggage anyway, you know. Uh-huh. But but separated brethren. Mm-hmm. I was part of the separated brethren, you know. I I know what that means. The separated brethren have the gospel, mm-hmm. but and I say this in all humility and and without being critical, but not in its fullness. It's a biological fullness, a, a, a physical joining and communion with the, the Holy Mother Church. And when you have that and you're open to it, then you begin to study the various and sundry things and open yourself up to it. You know, Don't come at it from the, the standpoint of what's wrong with where you are now. Okay? Mm-hmm. Because that creates anger. And yes. I'm not sure that's helpful. Yeah. You know? I really fought hard to not be angry at at how things were going when I was in my former life. Uh-huh. You know? I can't control that stuff anyway. Uh-huh. None of us can. Let's 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 grow up. Yes. But let's look forward and see. This is the gift. I call it when Jesus was teaching about the pearl of great price, where you'll Sell everything. Remember the, the the merchant who sold everything to receive the pearl of great price to purchase it. Uh-huh. That's what the Catholic Church is, and you get to a point to where you're open to do that, and in fact, you'll do anything. And so, all these men that have done this and their families that have left their livings to come to the Catholic Church mm-hmm. to 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 be priest in the Catholic Church, they they don't. There's no regret. It's the pearl of great price. Uh-huh. You see, it's the most important thing that there is: salvation, God, the truth, capital T truth, unchangeable, yes. eternal. You know that's so important. So be open to that kind of journey is what I'm saying. So don't get on the journey because you're angry. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I'm, I'm. It's the only way. Uh, Really, we're going to deal with what we're dealing with in our culture today. Is we've got to get away from the anger and get back to who we are. You know, Amen. And what God, <laughs> why God put us here. <laughs> you know, and the other thing is have a sense of humor about it. You know, about about you know learning the faith. There there there, there is a great sense of humor. I, I remember reading stuff and I'm, I didn't know that, and I was raised in. In a very good Catholic environment, uh-huh. although, albeit it was it was separated brethren, but I still was right. But uh-huh. I didn't know that, you know. Brought a smile to my face. I'm doing that every day. I was preaching a, a homily the other day, and I was telling people, I said, you know, one of the things that I've realized, being a, a Catholic priest now for ten years, I'm still, and I guess I will to the day I die. I hope so, anyway. I'm still seeing things in Scripture I've never seen before. Mm. It's amazing. You know, yeah. or I've read something a hundred times in the past, and all at once I see what it really means. What's well, the you depth know? of the scripture? It's incredible. Not, yeah. You know, it's the same, and I do that with Catholic theology as well. What would you like to say to those 
friends of yours that have cut you off when you started your journey? I, I think I think what I would say is first of all, I, I'm not I'm not uh, um, angry, uh, and I'm no I'm no longer hurt. You know, my, the the that I would I, I I'm still your friend. You know, and I would say to them, uh, if you don't see what I saw, it's okay. You know, it's okay. I, I don't want to make judgment on whether you decide to stay where you are. You have a right to do that. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is present in the denomination I come from, the Episcopal. It's there. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus is there. It's just for me, not in its fullness, if you will. Uh, it could be so much bigger, you see. And and I I think I would say I, I would I, no hurt feelings. I mean I'm over that now. At first it was hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm I've got feelings just like anybody else. You Rudy, we all have feelings. Yes. And I got my feelings hurt. And I think I said things that I I shouldn't have to myself. I I don't think I ever had any arguments with anybody. Maybe I did. I, uh, you know, but I, 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 I maybe I did. I, I look back at that now. I've already made my confession about all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm over all that. Uh-huh. And and so uh, uh, let's be friends. Let's share our experiences together because they're part of friendship. Is is something that that. O- overturns these kinds of severings, or or it should anyway. What advice do you would you have, or what would you like to say to some of those Catholics that don't know the situations, the ones that you know come up to you and and they say, "You're a married priest. That's not allowed. This is scandalous." You know what would you what do you normally say to them? Oh, I I would uh, I would I always say you know well let's talk about it. Uh huh. You know? And I I have no problem with anybody coming up and talking to me about this sort of thing, but give me a chance to explain it. You don't get tired of it having to explain it all the I time. Don't, <laughs> I don't. I really don't. I, I enjoy doing it. I really do. I enjoy talking to you today. You know, I've done interviews like this before. This is your interview here is 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 uh, pretty in depth, but I enjoy it. You know, it's it's it, this journey has been life transforming. For so many people, you know, and it's a, it, it will never, again, we, we, we don't look back. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have any regrets. Yes. And we're just thankful to be here and we want to talk about it. We want to share it. It's part of who we are, you know, it's part of our, our ministry, you see. And that, 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 that that's part of our, of our, ap- the, 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 the apostolate that we have. That would be a good word to use. Is to explain this. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, to teach it, share it, you know, and to share it without judgment, without, you know, if I talk to an Episcopal group, you know, I, I make it very clear and I have tried to today, I don't want to be critical, please. Mm-hmm. You know, I know I sound that way, mm-hmm. but I'm really not. Now, there was a time when I kind of was, but I, there, there's no need for that anymore, you see. Now, looking back at your whole journey, everything that's, you know, all the way back, your many years as an Episcopal priest, your your years as a Catholic priest, how would you want to be remembered? Oh, I, 
I think uh, I think my wife said the right thing to me one day when I was kind of ruminating on on uh, how difficult this has been at times. You know, lo- we're glad we did it. Mm-hmm. No regrets, but it hadn't been easy. And she, I remember saying to me, she said this to me several times, Chuck, you did the right thing. And that's what's important. You did the right thing. You know? And doing the right thing, whatever cost it is, it's worth it. And that puts it in perspective for me right there. You did the right thing. So you want people to to remember he did the right thing. He did the right thing. I followed my conscience. I tried to anyway, you know, and and I I I I, I feel like I I want to to believe that I was a positive influence on those that came with me, and those that have come since because of our ministry. It's not just me. Mm-hmm. I'm part of a much larger, you know, wonderful, beautiful, loving ministry, apostolate, if you will. And I and and I, I just you know I I was I became a faithful Catholic. That's what I want to be remembered. You know. Do you ever think about you know let's say ten twenty hundred years into the future the the fruits of the groundwork that you lay? Yeah, I do. Uh, that you have laid. Yeah, that's a. Again, it's not just me. I mean, I'm I'm one priest. Yes, I mean, you know, you are part of that. Yeah, I'm part of it. You know, uh, and I'm just one guy. You know, one priest. Yes, and and I've I've been blessed with so much influence around me that's been so positive. You know. Yes. Um, I don't know how would I answer this question. That's a good. That's a good question. A hundred years from now, uh, fifty years from now, uh, I hope that. That being part of this realized uh, ecumenism, this movement, yes, that now is no longer just talked about. I mean, it's being lived out. Yes, will be lived out in other ways, maybe with Lutheranism. Yes, Presbyterianism, uh, whatever else. Yes, you know? in other words, Rome is reaching out to the world. Yes. And, and 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 to the separated brethren, that's a bet. Yeah, bigger yes. Deal. You know that you'll see more of this sort of realized ecumenism among separated brethren from other denominations having ordinariates. You know, having their own ordinariate with the the specific kind of flavor mm-hmm. that's Catholic. Just, yes, you know, fully Catholic. Yes, but you see, and I I, I think that you know the tapestry of 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 the Catholic Church is so brilliant and 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 wide and broad, and and just more additions to that tapestry, yes. if you will, to be that's that's a legacy, right? To be part of that oh, yeah. ongoing movement, and 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 I have no doubt that's what's going to happen, because this has been a great success. Now there are some congregations uh, in the ordinary in in, in the in, in here in North America that didn't make it. That's always when you start from scratch. Uh-huh. That's true anywhere. You know, some of them don't make it. Most of them have, or are on their way. But some of them we've had to suppress because they didn't. They just didn't get off the ground. Okay. You know, when you start a congregation from scratch, 
that's that's a very difficult ministry. Yes. And there, there there's no guarantee it's gonna it's going to be. There was one here in Katy, uh, Saint Margaret of Scotland, the the the, the ordinary community here that was at Saint John Twenty Third. It was housed there, and their chapel uh-huh. didn't make it didn't make it through the through the uh, pandemic. Oh, is what happened. Okay, and, and it it just didn't it didn't make it. And there's a few others around. So, but that's not the, the thrust is not in what we've lost or those that didn't make it, mm-hmm. but in what has has come from it. And what's come from it is it shows the it shows the Catholic Church that it's reaching out to the separated brethren. Brethren works. Yes. And it's no longer just words. Here's the proof. We're this is We're happened. no longer just going to meetings and talking about church unity. <laughs> we've done it. Yeah, we've, we've done it. And, and it, can be, it can be done again and again and again. Yes. The, 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 the fathers that put this together, the, 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 the wonderful, faithful uh, uh, people that put this together, and I've mentioned some of them, including yes. Benedict and John Paul and St. John Paul and... And, and so on and so forth, the, the, the dicastery commission, all of them, uh-huh. they did it. They did it. It, it works and it's, it's, it's alive. It's, it's, it's well. The baby is, is growing. The baby's bigger than a baby now. The baby's yes. growing up a little bit. <laughs> Not quite maybe to in adolescent yet, but it's getting there. Uh-huh. In other words, it's able to survive on its own. Yes. And that's, that's, that's wonderful. And it, that means it can be done again. So, you know, I, I, my early days as, a, as an Episcopal priest, I remember going to diocesan conventions and we, well, we need to send somebody to the ecumenical talks, uh, you know, uh, meetings and, you know, and you go over and over every year and more and more and all you do is sit there and talk about it. Uh huh. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Let's do it. And we did. That's what it's all about. Thank you so much, Father Chuck, for sitting down with us and, and just giving us all this information and and sharing with us your journey. What an awesome journey it's been. I appreciate it. Appreciate you giving me a, a little bit of a stage to do it.